This is Wayne Jernell, editor of Theory and Research in Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSC published author. Enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. So, Dan, what's going on in Texas these days? It seems like there's uh, some things. There's many things happening in Texas these days, Michael. I mean, we had a local election, which was a mixed bag recently, but the politics are have not been encouraging lately, right? I think you've seen it probably on the news, but... You know, just one of our local elections was our friend, Amber Briggle from episode 39. And she came on and talked about her transgender son. And since then, the state of Texas is actually investigating her for parental abuse and and framing, you know, LGBTQ, you know, children as their parents as being, you know, um, abusers. And this is kind of a new narrative that's kind of spawned off from older narratives that have existed around queer people. And so... So, you know, things are, and she was very close to winning her election, but she lost by just a little bit, which was sad. She was going to be on our city council in my city. um, And I'm sad that she lost, but so things are not, things are not great here. I would say the politics have gotten to places that, that they weren't, not that things were great in the past, but there's some real threats that are scary. It seems to be for teachers in particular, there's been some like for history teachers in particular, there's been like some laws that were passed there. What's going on with that? Yeah. And I mean, I would say too, I want to add to, I know it's not just there, but uh, yeah, a lot of states, but Texas is certainly being pretty brazen in it. I think, uh, you know, first, uh, you know, LGBTQ teachers are being attacked. Like one of my uh, wife's former students who is a gay teacher was recently fired because she didn't take down the rainbow flag in her room, which was with many other flags. And, and so, and then, and, you know, there's been these laws that around teaching, you know, hard histories that, you know, all of a sudden now that students that is, you know, causing divisiveness to teach honest histories in classes. And so there's been a lot of laws and intimidation, right? I think, which is the main purpose of the laws to silence people around teaching honest histories that address the nation's past, right? Address systemic and historical inequities, particularly that target, you know, people of color, indigenous people in this country. So, it's a tough time to be a social studies teacher. And I know several teachers who've left the classroom, which I'm sure a lot of the people passing these laws would be happy about that they're not in the classroom, right. which is really sad because they win that way too. But it's very difficult time to be in education right now. And I'm not sure what the future looks like. Is hiding like the, you know, issues of slavery, is that like protecting children? Is that what the the argument is? Like somehow if you say that it didn't happen like that, that, you are going to make people not you're going to protect kids i don't really fully get the um because it it happened like right i'm just confused like where the is it just about putting heads in sand and hopefully it stays there and people don't actually ever learn about what actually happened or yeah, it's, it feels like a lot of children are really props in a lot of these political arguments and they're being used right as shields kind of for these arguments which cuz you know, I talk to kids about hard stuff and I've always found kids are really good about talking about things. If you talk to them in terms that 
they understand, which is, by the way, what we all want is to talk about things in terms we understand, right? And so, yeah, there's a lot of language around the brown transgender children, around teaching honest histories, around LGBTQ people that all focuses around the, the idea of protecting children. But, you know, I think this has a lot more to do with adults and their bigotries than it does to do with children who are pretty good about this stuff. But I don't know. I think our field, you know, there's been so many people doing good work around this. And I guess for me, what I would, I think would be really helpful is just to know about more of the research that people have done in schools around kids learning this stuff. Oh, and this brings us to the topic of our discussion today, correct? Yeah, I was you, trying brought, to lead. you brought people. I was trying to, yeah, we, we have guests to teach us about, and this is, it's really timely, right? I think that can speak to a lot of the challenges that, that particularly elementary teachers face today. And so we would like to welcome into the podcast, our two guests, um, Dr. Anna Faulkner and Dr. Katie Payne. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you for being here. We definitely appreciate the two of you for joining us. Oh, before we get started, we'll talk about your article that you published. Do you mind telling us a little bit about who you are, your background in education, how you got to this point in time, and then we'll move forward from there. Sure. So I'm Anna, and I am an assistant professor of elementary education at the University of Memphis. And my background in education, so I have taught preschool and third and fourth grade in public schools in Austin, Texas. And my research spans from pre-K all the way to fifth grade. So elementary social studies is my jam. Now, I imagine that there's like a big, like, you know, people getting in shape and whatnot in Memphis. When people are walking, is it just that song being played over and over and over? Is that how it works there? Like, is it just it being is. It, just, it just sort of follows you as a little cloud above your head. That's you what go. I figured. Yeah. You should have tried having the Oklahoma musical play your entire childhood growing up there. Oh my goodness. Dr. Payne, can you tell us a little bit about your background in education? Yeah, my name is Katie Payne and I am an associate professor here at the University of Texas at Austin and I work in social studies education. And before this, I taught first and second grade in public schools in New York City in both general education classrooms and inclusion education classrooms. And then since then, I've done research in classrooms all the way from preschool all the way through fifth grade, primarily focusing on social studies and how the classrooms also might have elements of democratic education as part of them. I'm kind of curious for both of you, you both got into thinking about democratic education, thinking about how to teach critical, you know, social studies. Did you experience any of that in your own backgrounds in education? Or was it something that else that came about that kind of inspired you to kind of do this work? I think for me, a lot of it came from my mom. So I, I didn't get a ton of critical social studies in public school classrooms, particularly in elementary school, but my mom is a social studies and history teacher. And so I, I got a lot of lectures growing up. And so this is this is the kind of work that, that she does and um, I hopefully live up to. I love that you got that from your mom, Anna. I, I don't know that I got a lot of it growing up other than, you know, I grew up outside Washington, DC. And so you get sort of inundated with history and social studies all the time, but not necessarily critical. So I think I definitely got a lot of it uh, when I became a teacher in New York City. And so the teachers that I worked with, the communities that I worked in, really challenged me to have to learn histories that I didn't know, to learn more about communities that I hadn't been a part of. 
And so it was the teachers and communities that I got to work alongside that really pushed me toward thinking about this a lot more critically. That's really cool that you both like kind of came about this work in different ways. Um, and so this leads to kind of us talking about this study, which we're, I'm really fascinated to hear about. So first thing you both published in Theory and Research in Social Education, which is no small feat. So congratulations on that. Woo! Yay. Um, so the, the article was published actually in 2021, and it is titled Courage to Take on the Bull cultural citizenship in fifth grade social studies. So can you tell us about this project and the research y'all did? Particularly about the bull. We're going to get to the bull in a little bit, but Anna's, like Anna's going to get to that. But the paper really came out of a study that we entered into with this really broad question of how do elementary teachers engage in more critical forms of social studies education. So it came out of uh, a, a local teacher who had invited me to her classroom to see some projects that they were doing. And I thought, huh, like, A, you're doing social studies. That's amazing in an elementary classroom in and of itself. And B, you're really asking these questions about power and who has it and how is it operating. So we went in with this really broad question of how elementary teachers engage in more critical forms of social studies. And we kind of wanted to see just what bubbled up from that big question and hanging out with a bunch of amazing fifth graders and their teacher for the year. And then once we were in the classroom, which included a majority of students of color, we really noticed that students' multiple and varied identities were central to how the teacher was operating, to how the kids were relating to each other, what they were talking about. And at the time, I knew that Anna, who uh, was uh, then here in Austin, uh, she had been thinking a lot about cultural citizenship frameworks. And so I asked her, hey, do you want to come hang out in this classroom with fifth graders and this teacher with me and see how kids' identities are being taken up in the classroom space and how this might help us think and understand a little more about what's happening here? Yeah, so we got really interested in the community that Ms. Vine, which is the pseudonym that our teacher has in the study, helped to cultivate and the experiences that she that she curated, but we were also... While we were in the classroom, we were really seeing how powerfully children's ideas and their discussions and their questions really shifted a lot of the conversations and a lot of the lessons. So while we weren't able to interview children formally, we really wanted to highlight their role. And so this article is our attempt to attend more to the voices and the ideas of children. And what's so beautiful and compelling about listening to children is that they'll show you what they're paying attention to and the connections that they're making. So. Um, for example, Miss um, Vine brought in the example of, of the, the little girl, the, the statue called Fearless Girl, that got put up in 2017 on Women's Day across from the big bowl of Wall Street. And she wanted to see what kids thought about this. This is part of a current events sort of assignment that was going on. And as, as she brought it up, I think for me, when I, when I first heard her bringing it up, I thought that the kids would pay attention to gender because um, it was brought up on Women's Day and Miss Fine highlighted that and sort of paid attention to that. And the kids did pay attention to that, but they also really complicated things. So like Miss Fine says, like, look how proud and bold that girl looks. And the kids start saying things like, uh, it's a little girl, little children can show power and strength. And one of the kids named Daniela said like uh, that 
women aren't just be tools to be kept at home. And then another kid sort of jumps in and says, little kids have more power than they think. Whenever we stand up all together, we have enough courage to take on the bull. And that, of course, is where we got our title from because it's such a powerful statement. But it also really, really illustrated to us the ways in which kids were taking up these questions of identity in complicated ways and the ideas of these multiple identities. That what they paid attention to in the statue was not just the gender, but the fact that it was a child and what that meant for them and as members of a community of children. And that really connected to us, to cultural citizenship for us, this idea of self-definition and affirmation and empowerment. One question I have, you used the term cultural citizenship. And could you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that term? Yeah, absolutely. So I should say, first of all, that this doesn't come out of my own experiences of citizenship. One of the things that we talk about in the article is that we both experience a lot of civic privilege as white women. And that's a really important part of recognizing that this this is not uh, our experience and these are not our skills and, and traditions. But fortunately, there's a great history of scholarship around cultural citizenship, which really emerges out of these critical discourses of citizenship. But it's also grounded in the experiences of multiple cultural communities, particularly the Latinx community and the Asian American immigrant communities. And some of the central tenets around uh, cultural citizenship are that these multiple cultural identities are really integral to citizenship. There are communal approaches to citizenship and that a lot of the agency that folks in these communities have is produced from this history of negotiating and um, pushing back on the marginalizing and exclusionary practices of citizenship. So that stands in contrast often to the citizenship that's just tied to the the nation state and to to traditional ways of, of, you know, affecting change like voting and things like that. It really allows, allows us to expand our notions of what citizenship is. So I really like that. And I think Kids probably define citizenship in a broad array of ways too, including the, the through cultural citizenship. So I love thinking through those different lenses. So what else did you find in the study? So like I said, one of the things that, that really came up for us is uh, this importance of the multiple identities and kids were really taking up this idea of identities across the school year. You can see Katie actually has a great SSYL article that gets into the identity classes that the kids made. Um, in order to help think about who their multiple identities are and how they see the world, including that of of being children and thinking through how these multiple identities played into their understanding of the multiple histories and counter narratives that they dug into, as well as um, the civic practices that they were learning about. Were these actual glasses? They were made out of paper, little paper glasses. Interesting. Do you mind talking just a little bit about, I'm just, uh, I know this is another article, but I just want to know a little bit more with these glasses. The, the kids had, you know, Miss Vine came in and made this big deal about like perspective, right? Like she, she asked them about their day and they then, they all said different things. She was like, but what are you talking about? You're all in the same place. And right. So she's setting up this multiple perspectives thing for them. So they made, first they made a maps of all the things that they thought could be part of their identities. And then she helped them sort of pick out, she talked to them and said, you know, what are sort of the things that most impact the way you see the world and the way that the world sees you? So they talked about 
with glasses that they both help you see, but they also, right, they're on your face. People can see them on, on you and they affect how people see you. And so then kids, they took paper glasses and they decorated them. And, you know, there's all these like lovely pictures of children holding them up to their face. So they sort of, sort of fit on like in a very big, goofy kind of way. But then she put them up on the wall and they remained there for the entire year, which became incredibly important to the kids because it became this referent that they could go back to again and again. So that even at one point when they were studying the, the walkouts in LA and all the things around uh, language and Spanish being students not being allowed to speak Spanish, that one of the kids said, but they took away their lenses. So, you know, they really connected with that because she had had on hers Spanish as a really important part to her identity. So to her, to see somebody not being able to speak Spanish in school felt just an, a, like an enormous problem. And, and it really struck her and she, she talked about it, but it helped across the years. She just left them up great thing as a teacher to leave up a bulletin board who doesn't love that and she was able to refer to them again and again that's really cool and it's it's i mean one of the best things i think i love that you can do in teaching right is is refer back to the lessons you've learned throughout the year and so anyway i'm michael we're gonna have to make visions of ed lenses oh obviously yeah think about our notions of cultural citizenship that's next yeah and it, it definitely it, this this idea of the way they, the kids brought them up over the years it, important to how we sort of looked at the way that they engaged in counter narratives too right like because they for example when they were digging into um, some of the narratives around the civil rights movement and the multiple civil rights movement one of the questions that Ms. Vine would ask them is like what's on this person's lenses so as they dug into these counter narratives they were thinking about the perspective of that person and how that would influence for example this is happening um, these lessons were happening during the 2016 election and so part of the conversation then would often become who would this person vote for if we if we look at things from their lenses and from their point of view she, she got a lot of mileage out of these things that's amazing i love it really did <laughs> So those are two key findings, right, that you had. One, that students were able to, you know, uh, work through and better understand their identities and define their own identities. Second, that they were able to understand counter narratives. And you got a third finding, I know, right? Can you tell us about, about that too? Yeah. So one of the things that happened in the classroom was the kids did a lot of engagement and, and exploration around questions of agency and what what it meant to examine agency and explore agency in history, the historical agency. But then they also dug into some of these questions. One of the things that came up a lot was the question of, of how kids were able to enact their own agency as part of this. So in doing this, we're drawing on Jennifer Key's idea conception of agency as being um, kids being able to make decisions about what and how they learn in order to build their capabilities. And that's one of the things that we had the chance to sort of complicate in, in this article is that while students were experiencing an expansion of the definitions of civicness while learning some of these counter narratives, they also had to navigate some of the constraints that kids, particularly children of color, often face as citizens of the classroom. They didn't always have the agency to make decisions over what or how they were learning, um, even as part of digging into some of these important counter narratives. So the impression I'm getting is that kids can 
talk about hard histories. And, you know, what I'm thinking as you talk about, you know, the black and brown children in the classrooms that this study took place is that it just makes me ask who's who are we protecting when we talk about protecting children? Because it seems like for these kids talking about these difficult histories was part of developing their agency by seeing the ways people have fought injustices in the present, in the past. So can you tell us what advice do you have for educators, you know, especially in the climate that exists in a number of states today that are encouraging us not to talk about difficult things? And also, what do you what advice do you have for researchers who want to better understand these issues too? So I think one of the important things that came out of this study is this idea that the identity of child doesn't need to be this one of protection from the outside world. One of the things that I think is important as we're having these discussions around the laws around teaching hard history, these laws that are designed to intimidate is that they're really designed to protect white kids in particular, because kids of color are having conversations about race and racism. They're learning about these histories at home and in the community, even if it's not happening at school. And we know often that um, teachers of color are digging into some of these histories with their students, um, despite some of the constraints. So when we think about these discourses of protectionism, we want to really recognize that these discourses are set up to protect a particular subset of children, that they're not really set up around all children. But one of the things that we found to be really powerful is this idea of teach of listening to kids ideas and questions as part of the classroom because they they were interested in these things they did have these complicated questions and connections students wanted to learn about gentrification they wanted to think about bullying in really critical ways and when they had these projects that gave them the time and space to do so they were able to do some really complex complicated things We also wanted to kind of point out one of the things that was important for us was what happens when we look really across time and across units. A lot of times in in research, the Dr. Yoon and Dr. Templeton say that like they call it the timetables related related to productivity, right? That these these timetables related to productivity create contexts in which kids' voices get dismissed because we, we, we can only be in there for a short amount of time because we've got to get the article out or they've got testing coming up. But we were really able to see that a lot of the connections that the kids were making in this classroom would not have really been evident if we hadn't been there for multiple units, if we hadn't been there for a long period of time. So as far as thinking about research goes, one of the, the implications for us was just the importance of taking the time to look across the year and and um, and go in with an with an open mind and an open question. I also think you know Anna, as we think about what all the kids brought up in the class, one of the things that struck me was Miss Vine's curiosity around that and the fact that she was willing to go and learn new things all the time. So the year prior, she had done this big African American Civil Rights Unit, all these projects with kids and you know, we had this conversation about what was going to happen in this coming year when we were going to be in the classroom. And I said, Oh, you know, you have so many Latino kids in your class. Like, I don't know, what about the Chicano rights movement? She was like, I don't, I don't really know a lot about that. And she then she's like, I was like, well, let's learn something. And she was, she was so excited. And so she went out and she learned an enormous amount. And I think that as elementary teachers, that's, 
you know, that's a huge burden in some ways. You know, most folks that go into being elementary teachers, they're teaching multiple subjects, they're doing a ton of work across the day. But I also think it's sort of a gift that you get to just keep learning alongside kids as you do this. Particularly now, you know, there's all these um, young adults like young adult versions of of books, right? The young adult version of queer histories and indigenous people's history for young people. And so, and a lot more that are coming out all of the time. So I think that that's one way that we encourage, at least in our methods courses for for students to, to read those, to continue learning more. And I think it's important that she also had the Space at the school that she worked at to do this. So she was given a lot of space to do it. She was very clear all the time on what connected to the standards um, and was really good at seeing those spaces in the standards that she could sort of expand and, and make them count uh, for what she was doing in the classroom. There, I, I really appreciate the thoughtfulness and care you all put into this study. And just even at the end of this, right, I feel like you're just reminding me of such important lessons of education that we can't just drop in and do research or drop in and understand a teacher's teaching or understand a student's learning, right? Like in a class period, it takes time. And I appreciate you all put that into this study. And then I'd also like to say for like, you know, elementary Dan, if I can go back and speak for him, right? I wanted to know all of the bad things that happen in the world. I wanted to understand racism. I want to understand things and all my teachers wouldn't do it. And so when we talk about protecting white kids, right? A lot of white kids also are willing to learn about this stuff with teachers who care about them. And so, so I want to point that out. I also wanted to understand like everything gross and everything, like everything in the world that I wasn't supposed to learn about is what I wanted to learn about. And so um, I often find kids are really interested in that. Let me teach you the real history of this, right? They're like, what the real history? Yeah. Yeah, They're hiding it, right? Like even their own parents probably could become probably motivate them to learn it. So so I appreciate you all really addressing this topic head on. And, and I hope people can are inspired from, from the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Well, listen, Anna Wagner and Katie Payne, thank you so much for joining us today. We absolutely appreciate the fact that you spend some time with us and our listeners to talk about your study in cultural civic education. So please tell us, uh, where can our listeners find you and your work online? You can find my work on Google Scholar, I guess. You can just look for me. Anna Faulkner, University of Memphis. I have a Twitter, but I don't post there. So don't, <laughs> don't look for that. Yeah. My faculty page at the University of Texas at Austin has links to Google Scholar, to my CV. And again, same. I, Twitter is so rough. Yeah, we'll see about the future of Twitter. Who knows who's <laughs> going to be on it before too long. But we will make sure to link to both of those pages you all mentioned in our show notes so people can find your great work. And we just appreciate you both joining us today and certainly hope to continue the discussion online, in person, or wherever. Hopefully not in the metaverse, but wherever. Absolutely. Thanks again for having us. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you for coming. Now, at the Visions of Education podcast, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something creative or fun in education, hit us up. We are actually on Twitter for the most part at this point at Visions of Ed. We're also sometimes on Facebook, but more importantly, we are wherever you want to subscribe to us. If you haven't already, subscribe to Visions of Education on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere you want to be. We'll even be at coffee shops. We'll play, do some open mics. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're in it. I like, we're still advertising Facebook. I think I've been off for like two years now, but hopefully, hopefully Michael checks it. 
And if you write us a five-star review, we will send you your own identity lenses that you can put on your wall. Um, and so please make sure to do that. Without five-star reviews, people will not find this episode as easily. And we would like to thank Zach Seitz of Wiley High School and Zach the University of North Texas for his great editing skills. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Geek. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off. <laughs>